I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This session was about distributed infrastructure and the edge and the challenges of managing uh, applications that are by definition spread out throughout heterogeneous infrastructure, meaning they, they are designed to control environmental systems that are local. So lo can we localize compute? And then how do we manage it once we've localized it? Uh, we got down into a lot of details in how these systems get built uh, and kept coming back to this idea of do we need to have localized processing? And if we do, how do we manage it? Uh, we come back to that really uh, strongly at the end. So hang tight in this podcast. We cover a lot of ground. I hope you'll enjoy it. Having this project teams gathering event mid-October, it is uh, more of a developer contributor focused open source event around open infrastructure projects. And uh, we do have this Open Infra Edge Computing Group, which is just one layer higher from the code. We are trying to understand the edge computing space um, and collecting use cases and requirements and trying to help the broad industry to come up with solutions to the gaps that we identified. The event, it's openstack.org. Uh, slash PTG. Um, there is event and registration information there. The event is fully online and 100% free to participate. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, it's it's nice to see these things going. I've been talking about edge and edge infrastructure stuff for a long time, and it's it's been moving slowly. Um, so we have to we have to keep talking about it. I used to joke that. And, you know, you get in a room with 10 people and you'd have 15 edge definitions. Just hasn't changed that much, <laughs> sadly. I, I, was hope, I was hoping for today that we would focus on um, some of the, the ops challenges. Uh, and so let me, I, maybe it's worth backing up because we talk about DevOps, we talk about cloud and automation. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that's missing in edge environments from an automation perspective um, that we, we can talk through. The biggest one that, that to me though becomes, how do we, we actually do some repeatable work around these environments? Um, and maybe I'm, being, maybe I'm being way too broad. Um, if I was to build a 10 node data center for being edge location. Um, and now I'm being really specific to edge, but distributed infrastructure management doesn't have to be edge. Um, and then create a 10 of those or a hundred of those or a thousand of those. Um, the, the idea here is that how am I gonna manage all of those environments? And, and I'm open to, you know, stretch control planes, local control planes. Um, uh, and I would open it up to, yeah, how would you solve this problem before I talk about things that we've been thinking about? Does anybody have a thought where, where they would start? Um, 
So, okay. I mean, yeah. my my approach from this is, is probably rather um, uh, rather peculiar because I I have dealt with uh, the main specific edge applications, okay. uh, specifically blockchain. Um, so. Uh, I have I, I see this in, in, in a particular light. Um, huh. that some of the challenges that, that I, I see so far with each application are um, state synchronization. You, you, yeah. you, you need to you need to deploy your applications to, to deal with eventual consistency. Um, and with, with reconciliation of, of, of state, um, at least if, if the state is shared. If you have simple edge applications that, that are just like edge workers, that, that's less of a concern. I would, I would start there and not assume we have a distributed application so much as, a, as distributed infrastructures. Mm. Because, because to me, and, and, I, and, and I have a rationale for, for saying that, um, as soon as you assume it's a distributed application, you're going to assume you have to have everything connected and, and data shared, um, which might be true for some application types. But regardless of the application type, you still have the infrastructure to manage whether it's disconnected or connected. And so I, it seems like just how do we put infrastructure into all these locations and then manage it? Is is and then install stuff on it. Right? Um, strikes me as its own its own problem. Well, from my perspective, I think we should definitely look more closely at how telcos and the military are doing it because every uh, every telco tower cell tower has to be controlled mm -hmm. and they do have some autonomous activity, but then they also have stuff that re reports back and has control. And actually, I think a look at what happened in um, Louisiana is possibly a good example of how some of this distributed slash edge stuff is working or not working. Uh, if you look at Louisiana, AT&T and T-Mobile are pretty much down. Mm, yeah. Verizon, um, well, they were down uh, 24 hours after uh, landfall. AT&T and, and T-Mobile were virtually useless and Verizon was at 70 plus percent availability. Uh, but then on top of that, you put into it how long any of these towers were going to be able to continue to operate because they all had to be on generator power and will continue to have to be on generator power for at least a week. So yeah. in some ways, I think a postmortem of uh, how telecommunications and power distribution uh, gets attacked and solved 
uh, based on what happened in Louisiana. It might be a discussion further down the line, but um, it'd be nice, be yeah, nice to find somebody who is helping rebootstrap those those systems. That the autonomy of those systems to me that's an argument for why these these aren't satellite systems with a central management infrastructure, right? Ideally, you would yep. each one would be autonomous from that perspective. And are you saying that, that ideally this would be like a mesh type network where yes. yeah, so, so where cells just communicate with their neighboring cells and, and for the, the packets so that if they're, if they're say, let's say that there happens to be a, a major split between the, the, the East and West US backbones that they, they could each still operate in, individually. So I think when we talk about mesh, we, we need to talk about and we need to define what east-west traffic is, what north-south traffic is, and what traffic actually crosses uh, exists in both planes. Um, and I think that's the key on infrastructure and management is knowing what you need to know and what you don't need to know. And huh. limiting limiting what sort of uh, information you need to gather, uh, trans, transmit. I, I mean, we're, we're going towards uh, sort of a disaster perspective or at least a, a, limited, a limited capabilities perspective I'm thinking, I've been thinking just building and maintaining the system, even on a day-to-day -day basis outside of your normal operations. Right. If you, outside if you, or inside your normal operations. Either one. I, I mean, what when I've seen distributed systems, uh, uh, IoT edge type systems, they typically have been like single unit gateways. They're, they haven't been systems they're, they're, in most cases they're they're leaf nodes the, you, you don't see much iot and um i i personally haven't seen much edge uh as uh as branch nodes right and that's why i'm using the telecom industry, because they're one of the few industries out there that have uh, have already migrated to to branch. Uh, so there are lots of like leaf node edges and whatnot. But when you talk about telecommunications, especially with five G and the burgeoning of all the data, uh, mm -hmm. mobile communications. Um, including, I, I don't know if you saw the Apple announcement, but I think it's Apple, but uh, their next gen will have si satellite communications also built into it. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, maybe it'll work. Um, different, different data uh, limits and, and um, uh, antenna and energy uh, requirements, uh, but you've got 
autonomous uh, vehicles are coming, having that same issue when it comes to uh, roads and, and conditions along those lines. But um, uh, the agricultural industry actually has some aspect of that because they do have, they, they do need uh, a place for uh, aggregation and analysis of all the information coming out of uh, uh, the ag sensors. But any large mechanical engineering endeavor, oil industry, uh, agriculture, telecom, they're the places where Edge is already employed and has gotten more sophisticated. Yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting that 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 you brought up uh, transportation, uh, since uh, yeah, so that that's that's where my current company is uh, is involved. Huh? In. Uh, like we uh, we do telematics. Um, mm -hmm. So so yeah, I mean. Uh, Perhaps one thing that we haven't brought up uh, with, with this is low power communications. Sure, you you, you, you can uh, you, you can you can you can put a, a, a like a satellite communications in, in, into a phone, uh, but what if you if you're tracking let's say a, a, a fleet of e-bikes that that have limited battery capacity? Yeah, um, you, you don't want to risk draining the, the battery within an hour and then have no no telematics no, no telemetry yes I, and go ahead um, Brad. no no I'm, I'm thinking through right part of part of this and this is the one of the classic iot things is that you also need to patch and manage the software as part of doing that, you could easily take that fleet, right? You talked about draining the battery. You could easily take a uh, send a patch that would force bikes off the off the, you know off the system. Um, but I, well, I still think those end up being edge clients, and I I don't I haven't seen that that consistent of a problem for it. But it's really a a device patch management problem. It's not a infrastructure management problem. Uh, that that depends on 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 how um, how complex your 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 edge device is. So and, if you yeah. if if your device just collects metrics and and forwards them, then yeah, that's rather simple. If you're if you delegate some of the your work to to the edge device to say um, so annotate them into the metrics or or or, or aggregate them or, or or to do any kind of data <coughs> calculation, yeah. um, then it becomes more complex as well. Yes, and then you have to decide if if your edge device is doing uh, informatics of any sort, so data aggregation or analysis or whatnot, there has to be a report back mechanism. And that means, uh, and then you have to decide about how often you need the data, how important it is to get it on a timely basis, how long can you wait before you get it, or how long do you wait to, to ping a device if it hasn't reported. And there are all sorts of issues along those lines of uh, 
So you need a control plane to just sit there and say, the device is dead or the device, where was its last location? Do I need to go look at it? Uh, can I wake it up? Can I upgrade it? Can I get any information from it? Uh, and then, for instance, a good example is space telescope. It has a safe mode where it goes pretty much in lockdown, but it has a heartbeat to let you know it's not dead, but it's not talking. So there are all these contingencies and layers of interaction that need to be, uh, if you want a robust system that need to be taken into account. If you decide your system doesn't have to be particularly robust, you can say that's not necessary, but there's a whole group of people out there who understand what the levels of robustness and graceful de degradation and whatnot are. And there's a whole bunch of people that are out there going, this is simple. I'm going to design an yeah. app. And <laughs> so. And yeah. I think to keep going. Yeah. Well, to, to Klaus's uh, comments about like e-bikes and things, I I think what we saw early on with a lot of the e-bikes and scooters, uh, they're scattered all over the place and whatnot, was because there had not been a full analysis of how the ecosystem works. So all these dead e-bikes got scattered about and then the first thing they did was they figured out they had to go pick up these dead battery e-bikes. Yeah. Then they came up with a crowdsourcing way of charging these e-bikes so they wouldn't die, which means uh, <laughs> yeah, they all had locations in them, but with no battery, it's hard to get a location. <laughs> if the battery's dead, you don't know where it is. You might have the last location. If they report frequently enough that the last location made sense and somebody hadn't moved them. Right. Right. And I feel contractually obligated to say bad actors. Yes, oh. exactly. <laughs> taking Somebody taking had advice. moved them. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a case where somebody went and collected up like a truckload of them and just sort of <laughs> drove around collecting them and, and keeping them. <laughs> just as a souvenir. Yeah. I But yeah. When, when I think about the control plane for that, those are going to be, is there any incentive to actually have a local control plane? I mean, they're going to use, I'm assuming they ride on a cell network, um, not on dedicate, their own their own radios. And from that perspective, once you're on the, the cell network, there's no, you know, there's no real need to have your, you know, city control plane for the bikes in the city, is there? Um. Yes, there is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was going to say the same, Rocky. Like uh, the, the, these devices that they, they have a, a lockout mechanism, so so you actually need to sign into it to use them. And okay. and yes, you, you you can you can unlock them over the or the network, uh, but you also need to make sure that if there is a network connectivity problem while the device is in use it doesn't immediately stop. Right, that makes sense. It's kind of kind of the same as with like autonomous vehicles, like you, you don't want them to, to stop in the middle of the highway. 
that's why that's why the autonomous models have all been very self-contained systems. Yeah. From that perspective. And that this is one of the things that I try to figure out, you know, I do we will we need you know local compute resources and flexible compute resources, especially multi-vendor compute resources. And let me step back. I can explain. So it would make a ton of sense to me, theoretically, for the, the cell phone companies to have cell, you know, multi-tenant data center space in a region that says, okay, I'm running a bike app and I'm going to, I want to put some, my, my application for managing those, those bikes in the cell tower. So I have fast, low latency connections to the bikes. I, which theoretically makes sense to me, but I, I'm questioning whether it's it's ne- it's it's whether it's necessary because it's going to cause all sorts of management headaches of how you're upgrading and patching and you know the connectivity for that app. And now you have every geo has to have its own data center system and its own management system. Let alone the cell providers have to have some multi-tenant capabilities that that they don't necessarily have. Um, yeah, I guess it mostly comes down to your resiliency requirements. Like if, like with, with the discussion we were having before about the telco, okay, if we are okay with what is what would be essentially be a, a, a net split, um, then we can move the data center closer to the edge devices because the data centers don't need to talk to each other. Um, conversely, if we are okay with um, occasional regional disruption, because we have everything in a single data center, yeah. and yeah, perhaps it, it, it would be more cost-effective cost to, to have everything central. And I wonder if, if this is a, like an innovation blocking point where Theoretically, it makes sense to have all this distributed stuff, but from a practicality perspective, it's hard, and therefore we just we just don't do it. So here's yeah. here's a situation where they're more local, like regional, and whatnot, could be critical in that the since you are depending on a uh, telecom system even if it's satellite, but definitely if it's, um, if it's cell, you're going to go with a specific carrier and those carriers have regions. So if access to regions uh, become difficult from wherever you are, you wanna mm-hmm. have lo- within the cell phone, the, the carrier region, uh, something that can do whatever required management is until that connectivity to your system comes back. I'm I'm shouting. Yes. Um, (laughs) Not, not wanting to overwhelm everybody's microphones, but the, I, this, this is, so when I, when I've had early edge conversations, the idea that you could offload stuff from the device to a local compute facility seemed like a really natural like benefit you could you could take an autonomous car and instead of having it do all the processing you could say you know what i want i'm gonna you know offload a degree of that to us you know to a local system 
that's fast enough to tell you about, you know, traffic analysis in your area or, um, you know, routing. And, um, but we, we just, the systems around each, you know, systems around us aren't able to take on dynamic load like that. Well, I, I, I think also part of the problem is that we, and, and, and by we, I, I'm talking like the IT um, ecosystem has a almost pathological tendency to centralize control, <laughs> which is understandable, of course. Like, like if you're a business, you, you, you want to have as much control as possible because that means that you drive the profits towards yourself. Yeah. Um, but that, unfortunately, uh, flies in the face of distributing efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would argue, perhaps, that one of the things that, that would be most likely to, to drive distribution or meshing efforts would be municipal empowerment on the IT field. Oh, that's interesting. I know there's some there's some broadband municipal empowerment going on from that perspective. But you're right; they could they could actually be involved providing um, resource uh, compute resources for their communities too. Um, and that is the, the the broadband is more or less what what, what got me the idea of is that that there's there's already some effort being done and investing some of that control back from. From larger companies, and and of course there, there there's there's opposition to it as well from from said companies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, uh, and well, I was just going to point out the Tip Project out of Facebook, open source, and they're specifically working with uh, organization communities and organizations because if they can get direct access into this software, Facebook, then uh, they have more data. But so they're doing some directing of it, but tip in general is community level networking that's controllable uh, in community as opposed to uh, the current model or including the current model also. Uh, so they're looking at mesh networks and whatnot for uh, distributing broadband throughout communities. I'm, I'm just the the level of expertise, and this is this to me is the the missing piece, right? The level of expertise to build even a moderate you know, infrastructure from that perspective is, you know, there, it hasn't been a lot of incentive in the industry to make that type of infrastructure more accessible, more, more generally as far, right. Cloud actually does the opposite. It's like, yeah, I don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. I'm not, I'm not trying to make it easier to use. Uh, Well, sorry. They're trying to make it easier to use through their APIs. They're not trying to make, the infrastructure easier to use as a asset. 
which I just went way off the deep end on this, right? I, I mean, maybe, and maybe that I want to connect the dots here. If we're going to have distributed infrastructure, then it's going to have to be easier to manage, or it's all going to be managed by a small number of, of major providers who are providing a, a front-end API for it. So just realize yeah. that what you said is absolutely true. The people who now have control do not want to lose control. And so distributed is extremely disruptive. And it's disruptors who are going to come up with the control structures and whatnot because the systems that have it, the where they are right now, there's no incentive to make it happen. I mean, look at Amazon and yeah, they're they have no incentive to make their system more controllable by the average guy. Yeah, they give a little bit of lip service to their larger customers, but uh, it's a black box and they like it that way because they make more money if people don't know how to optimize. And the same with the telecom companies. If we had more time, I would make this a segue into right to repair. I, these, are, these are related topics, and we've we've done a couple of right to repair pieces. Um, so if 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 we had a way to do that, would would the economics? I mean, what's driving the economics away from that? It's not, you know, the gear gear really isn't that expensive. Um, Monopolization. Uh, to learn how to do that, you have to work at a very large company because you have to have access to the equipment. Mm. And then it's a matter of if those companies can buy your uh, commitment to work for them, then it's hard to get other people to uh, outside of the environment. So it, it's lock-in at, instead of a technology level, but at a knowledge level, corporate lock-in. I mean, it's also a little bit of a, of a corporate uh, prisoner's dilemma. And you, you, you could run a, a corporation that collaborates, that uh, shares technology, but as soon as there's one bad, bad actor that you, takes advantage of your material and tries to displace or extinguish you, you have to go back to playing by their rules. I mean, to take an example, uh, look what happened with the with the licensing of, of Redis on, on, on Elasticsearch. Okay. Right. Unless the marketplace punishes the bad actors. Unless the marketplace punishes the bad actors, yes. Right. And they're they're not going to do that. Okay. That's yeah. what regulatory agencies are, are supposedly there for. But unless you're a big enough country with a big enough uh, hammer, it doesn't happen. And then you actually have to have the will within the administration, current administration of that country to, to do that, too. And, and you also have to worry about regulatory capture. Yes. This is, I mean, oh boy. 
So what we're what we're doing in distributed in this in the distributed infrastructure comment is we we now have come back not just to the the infrastructure but the SaaS the SaaSification of software, <laughs> and the the idea that it's not just hey I need infrastructure in these locations but I need the expertise to run the applications around it too. I I, I actually am not surprised by that, but it's worth noting. We've right all the all the SaaS platforms have made it so people are discouraged from running and, and operating their in their own stack of software. But then of course we we also got the outliers like okay. for example blockchain where at the release at its inception it was essentially for the by the people for the people. Um, mm. we're, we're now seeing where at, at, the, at least proof of work type blockchains uh, have have centralized computing power, which is uh, dangerous to the blockchain in itself. Um, but with at least with, with proof of stake blockchains, on, on the other hand, um, it is uh, much. Uh, it it has a much more equal uh, uh, playing field because your cost is, is is basically just how much you're willing to stake in into it. Um, right. After that, your the compute power is flat. Like you 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 don't gain much. You 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 don't get anything by having. Uh, Two compute nodes instead of one, because you, you're still bound to, to that one stake that you have. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's interesting. That is by design a distributed system, so it wouldn't make any sense at all to run a blockchain algorithm. In it, maybe it does. I'm missing something in a hosted provider, or does it? I mean, are, are there blockchain nodes running in Amazon and? Oh yes, <laughs> absolutely. Oh okay. yeah, uh, Amazon. In fact, a lot of the Amazon. One of the the problems with the with Amazon was that all these miners were uh, breaking into unsecure system and stealing compute I time. I remember that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, n- yeah. Not just compute time, but yeah, credits. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but yeah, like there's absolutely people running their nodes on on on, on cloud infrastructure because. You not everyone has the the data center to, to run their own. Uh, particularly, mm, I mean, okay. it, perhaps the, the the big exception are large established financial institutions, but those are running their well. If they're running their nodes, they're running locally, mostly because of policy that hasn't been updated yet to reflect cloud infrastructure the the the, the infrastructure teams are like the 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 tech the tech talent at those institutions they want to use cloud infrastructure because it means that you you can, you can put a node in, uh, on a third party and if that node gets dust it's not your problem if you put it in your own infrastructure you're risking your, your whole infrastructure you have to do all the extra work yeah but uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, it 
it, it, it is running distributed applications is not uh, at odds with uh, with using cloud infrastructure or, or, or using centralized infrastructure. Uh, running in distributed applications is more about enabling non-local participants. Do you have to care about the the geographic distribution from that perspective? Because I, I could easily see defining distributed infrastructure in ways that wasn't just geographic, but was uh, multiple teams or different, you know, multi-cloud components, things like that. Um, the, there are cases where, where you have to worry about it. Uh, latency is, right. uh, is an issue. Like, yes, uh, distributed applications can be, uh, can handle high-density high communications to a certain degree. Like blockchains typically have a, a certain timeout between blocks where, where, where mm. computation needs to be done. Uh, and if that timeout is is too low, then you, you need you need a close uh, geolocation. You, you could, for example, run a node on Mars <laughs> with, with, with a lot of current blockchains, unless you, you that the time uh, for your for for producing a new block is sufficiently separated. Let's say like, I don't know how, how long times to how, how long it takes to her communication to Mars and back and forth. Let's say fifteen minutes. So you need to have more like twenty couple hours. Uh, twenty minutes. Okay. Yeah. So 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 you need to have sufficient time for the message to do right round trip, and you for you know to do the calculation on top of that. Uh, beyond that, like, even simpler. Uh, reasons for caring about ge geographic distributions. I mean, again, I, this is on, on, based on my blockchain experience. It, it's, it's legal. If you have to, the, the United States government already, already came out and said that if a blockchain has the, a majority of their nodes in a single uh, in, in a single uh, country, then that country has uh, has jurisdiction over the, the whole chain. So, so as a chain operator, you are encouraged to diversify your your node location. Interestingly, interesting enough, you could have them all on running on Amazon, and that, that would be fine. So. <laughs> So there, there, there's different levels there of centralization that that you have to um, that you have to account for. I it's it's interesting and and frustrating. The more I talk about these topics, the the less coherent. In some ways, I feel like. Like it was so simple and we just thought we were designing like IoT edge stuff. Um, but when we start getting into what what's practical and what you can do and, and you know, are you solving the right problems, it, it becomes not as clear. And and it seems like the details. Okay. Well, it, it <laughs> does, but, but even so, like the cloud is is good enough. Like we were I've been I was talking about Linux a lot today, and right, Linux is good enough. It's not stunningly awesome in in categories but it's good enough in all you know round 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 and it feels to me like a lot of the things we're talking about 
it's not the perfect solution, but throwing it in the cloud infrastructure is probably good enough for most most use cases. But let me then put my the, the devil's advocate hat on for for, for edge computing. There are definitely cases where edge computing is absolutely fine, and and it makes sense to to delegate that to the edge devices. Let, let's say, um, like web cameras. Like internet-enabled web cameras, like like Wise, for example, mm-hmm. they the algorithms for movement detection and person detection is not entirely on on the device; it's yeah. delegated to them, uh, and then they they just the devices just send a notification to to the central server that that then uh, sends a push notification to your to your phone or or, or whatever. So the the there's still plenty of applications for for delegating to the edge. It, it just happens that those are applications where it's okay to, to run them in isolation. Yeah, I guess there's a part of me that keeps hoping that we're going to find places or ways where having that, the local part of that work done, you know, the, the off-device part of that work done off device locally would would make sense um, because architecturally that appeals to me but the 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 challenges of doing all of the things that are necessary to bring that that supporting infrastructure the supporting applications local um, feels daunting so let me give you Real life experience along these lines that just happened yesterday. We have an Arlo system in our house. I noticed yesterday that the cameras were offline. So I went to the application, which talks to the base station and the cameras. The application, when I started up and I looked at the cameras, said firmware updated on all the cameras that had been talking and then it's a need battery or offline couldn't get them online couldn't get them to sync so i restarted the base station great fine then i get the same stuff it's like need battery or offline won't sync i don't know what firmware was put on the application gives me no visibility into the base station But it does to the cameras, but you can't get to the cameras without the base station. <laughs> <laughs> and weird things go on in the app where you see uh, snapshots of all the different recorded bits. You click on the recorded uh, <clears throat> segment you want and you get a different segment. Is that base station or is that cloud and just black box? no content it's it's edge computing cloud leaf node uh branch node central node and no visibility into how what's going on whatsoever and i can all i can do is wait for arlo to fix it if they're going to fix it and maybe file a complaint or install your own firmware and, and and then deal with running your own server at home for for that. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know if I can even believe that the camera firmware was updated. 
Uh, but if it was, and the base station wasn't up, updated, and there's no way the base station doesn't give any messages. It's just kind of supposed to be this invisible pass-through. So... <laughs> And so the essentially your not quite leaf node, the base station, is where the control plane has been messed up. And that's so there you are, Rob. <laughs> yeah, no, th this is full circle because the thing, the thing that to me is um really, really hard is exactly what you're describing. If you've got remote you know, for, for the vendor remote, for the, the user, local distributed infrastructure, maintaining that, understanding it, troubleshooting it becomes your problem. And it were collaboratively your problem with the, the, the vendors and the author's problems. And, and I, you know, I feel like that is really hard. Um, and so along those lines, it's second yeah. order issues where if it were leaf node, it would be easier to debug. It's camera, does it sync or does it not sync? Battery or no battery? And you have direct access to either you have communications or you don't have communications. With the branch node, uh, suddenly the, the controls are all wonka, wonky and uh, you can't, you need, the leaf node to diagnose the branch node, but you can't mm -hmm. get to the leaf node because the branch node is wonked out. And and this and, and we're over time, so we, we we should wrap up. But the the thing that I keep coming back to is if your house had a you know general purpose infrastructure for running that type of workload, then it might be easier to manage and maintain like having a, 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 this your, your, the control plane node that you're describing is a special function control plane node that you actually don't need. It's, it's, it's just a little server. And so it's, it, when I plot these things out, I'm like, why did they send you an appliance to be a server in, in this day and age when you ideally would be able to run a container or a VM that could provide that server. And then that would actually be much more consistent as a control plane, could be more consistent as a control plane for the, the vendor. And then they would be able to offload more and more functionality because it wouldn't be constrained to a appliance. And this but is where Ildico and Beth Cohen would come in and give us their wonderful insight because they've been working <laughs> these particular issues a lot more than we have been. That's the. I think some of the, some of the issue with the, the appliance is it's trying to be consumer friendly, like non tech tech expert friendly. Mm -hmm. Plug and play. It, yeah. Yeah. Not not everybody knows how to spin up a Docker container on uh, on their home server. That's right. No, and, and part of what I would hope as a vision is that your municipal ISP or your, you know, telco could actually be providing those services, you know, because you have first linked back, that could, that would actually be potentially a valid, 
way to distribute these appliances to you. They're already doing it for TV programs and things like that. It's, it shouldn't be a big stretch to say, oh, my, I ate my, my uh, AT&T connection has, you know, home appliance services queued up for me and they maintain them instead of me having a whole bunch in my house. It becomes a question of trust to them. Like, yeah, do, you, do you trust Comcast to, to push firmware to your <laughs> IoT devices? Yeah, I was about to say for me, I'd rather I'd rather have all that stuff running on my server in my house that I maintain because then I at least have control over some of it rather than yeah, trusting Comcast. Well, also the the question is what is an was what is an appliance a toaster has the controls you need to do the job you need you have the power plug and you have the darkness and then you might have bagel versus regular and defrost and that's <laughs> about it but and the pop-up and, and a device to actually raise it if the pop-up doesn't work so it's been debugged to to be a reliable appliance. Boxes that have no user visible information, diagnostic information, resets, etc., are not good appliances. They're they just they become bricks very easily. Yeah. You just described most of the Samsung line. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I hate my Samsung phone. But but we've you know this this to me is the we have a there's a vision of how all these things could connect together, and it it's hard. It's just really really hard. It is hard when you're in the center. I it's people don't get it right in people interactions. So how do you expect us to get it right in non-monitored technology interactions? Uh, yeah, I, I feel I mean, like we need. It, it's know. the line manager problem, and communications. What happens when the line manager goes on vacation? <laughs> and it's the problem of deciding where to compromise or or what is good enough. Exactly, and that's actually been an East Coast versus West Coast tech issue in in the U.S. For quite some time, the uh, West Coast has always been good enough. The East Coast was, it's got to be perfect. And that's why the East Coast lost out on a lot of stuff, because they were spending too much time perfecting it and not releasing it to general release. But on the other hand, you then get the West Coast got Microsoft. Yeah, uh, And then you also have the case where good enough eventually becomes not good, not good enough. Yep. And uh, then the cost of catching up is much higher than uh, the front-loading that effort. Which takes us back to Rocky Linux. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we've come full circle. Right. Well, on that, since we're over time, uh, I appreciate the conversation. Elka's um, right. We, we're... A lot of times we end up with more more questions at the end than we have. Uh, yeah. So, so Rob, so. this one is yeah. a really hard one. 
And the only way you really get answers for this one is getting out there in real life and implementing because you can't think of all the things that can go wrong and whether they matter or not until you're out in real life seeing them go wrong and determining whether they matter or not. I agree with you. That's, I mean, this is we, we have some hands-on experience with this, and so it's, that's why it's fascinating to let the conversation sort of float and not assume that I have an answer for these, these things. And I, I love to question if the problems that we're solving are, are the right problems. That, um, that's why I have such I, respect for space systems engineers. And air systems engineers. That was like, really hard. I just wanted to chime in. Sorry, I had a lot of background noise until now. Still have some. But just wanted to say that I think that one of the keys here is trying not to find some solution that is a one-size-fits-all, but focusing on building blocks that you can reuse in multiple kinds of systems and for multiple use cases. Because if you're just trying to find the perfect solution, that's never going to work. And with Edge, just what Rob mentioned about the definitions that at least with the edge group, we agreed to disagree on it because whatever your use case is, it will need a slightly different edge than your neighbor's use case. And therefore it's just so pointless to rabbit hole on the definitions. And that part is true for the solution side as well. So like how you're distributing a system, what kind of functions you can and cannot distribute. Sometimes that depends on the use case. The bicycles that we can all commonly use, that use case is different from the autonomous vehicles. And, but they still have a lot of similarities as well for some of the functions that you need to be able to manage. So um, I think we just need to think modular and be flexible. Thank you, Ildiko. This takes us back to, I think, last week or two weeks ago, where we pretty much said one of the biggest problems that Rob is having is the lack of defined modules. How do we scale? <laughs> and scaling has to be through defined modules that can be played together, kind of like the, the Silicon world did with VLSI and above. You can't <laughs> hand roll every single API every single time for the autonomous vehicle versus the, the scooter issue. They need to have a shared set of modules uh, to get the underlying thing to be able to have the agility and the controllability and understandability for very large systems. Beautiful. Yeah, and then I guess we also get back to the how we are going to manage all those modules, even though we have this microservices mindset now. But then still, that, yeah, that's, yeah, it's a whole nother. <laughs> and, and that one, that one, I love to to think about a lot because it's not just how do you manage the modules; it's how do you manage uh, isolated sets of the modules across multiple sites, right? That that's that's the to me. I keep and and we're we're way over time, so. We, we will we will keep coming back to this topic, and I will let us wrap it up. Please come back, Oldico. <laughs> yes, now that I'm aware of this, I will. <laughs> I really enjoyed even just listening today. It was amazing. So thank you for having me. Thanks. And Thursdays, if you don't know about Thursdays, ask Rob. Yep, we'll Thursday keep mornings. in touch. Excellent. Great. Thank Talk you. To you then. Bye. Thank yep. you. Bye, folks. Bye, cheers.
Wow. Anytime we talk about distributed infrastructure and edge computing, it opens up a lot of questions. Uh, and we really sort of covered this idea that it's different. And there's so many use cases and they're so different that it's hard to quantify a way to do things. And yet it's clear to me that we do need to have commonalities, that we need to have that modular infrastructure, that modular automation. Because if we don't, we're going to keep building one-off appliances and solving small vertical silos. And that, in my opinion, is holding back innovation. I hope you'll come join in on these topics. Uh, distributed infrastructure and edge is a favorite topic for the Cloud 2030 group, and we will keep coming back. I want to hear your voice in it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.